1: Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set.
2: Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings 2022 Fantasy Football DraftKings Best Ball strategy. What are the tips that we need to know about winning on DraftKings Best Ball this season? We'll see if we can dive a little bit deeper into that and try to figure out the proper strategies and maybe some tips that you are not utilizing at the moment when you are drafting your DraftKings Best Ball team. So try to get that big money come, I guess, week 18 now. <sighs> or Week 17, week 18, whatever whatever week it ends. Uh, it's a while in the future. So you're going to tie up some money and you want to make sure that you have your money properly invested by having the best tips available to you smash the like button for the episode in the comment section please give me your best DraftKings best ball tips sub to Mayo Media Network you can hit the description for the fantasy football guide so far in 2022 we got rankings for each position coming out the top 300 overall that's all coming in the next few weeks so turn on your notifications and stay tuned to the Pat Mayo experience on Mayo Media Network video or just on the podcast feed Apple Spotify Stitcher Wherever you download your podcast, you will be able to get the Pat Mayo experience. If you want to run your own projections this year, you can have stock projections. There's some really good ones out there. But if you want to mess around with them, runthesims.com has customizable to you projections for the season. They have the stock ones in there. Very easy to manipulate. And it's completely free. Right now. So if you go to runthesims.com, punch in your email, you can have access to the full preseason NFL projections. Create your own rankings. It's a lot of fun. Runthesims.com is very, very good. Let's bring him in right now. He almost won a million dollars on DraftKings last year in best ball. Almost got there till the very end. Justin Herzig from run.com is on the line with me now. I don't want to walk you through how painful it is to quote unquote lose the million dollars because you still made out pretty well, right?
3: I did. I did. And uh, now there was a lot of pride going in, trying to go back to back after taking the underdog championship the year before. But um, it was it was in a very impressive field. And just to have a chance at being at the top of that Millie, see my name there for uh, half the day until those kind of late night games went. But nah, it, it's been fun and uh, I'm ready to ready to try it again this year.
2: So you almost got the million on DraftKings, you have dominated best ball on multiple different sites right now, so I thought you'd be the perfect guy to talk to for even people who are new to best ball, who just suck at best ball, like myself. Because you always hear the, oh, this guy's great in best ball, that guy's great in best ball. Is there anyone who's bad in best ball when it comes to a pick, if they have like three good games throughout the course of the year?
3: I mean, end of the day, all you need is one great game in week 17, and that's the player you need to win it all. So uh, now there's some strategy and there's some tips and things that we can, you know, learn along the way that we can employ to kind of increase our chances of winning. But uh, overall, I mean, I think, hey, this is a, what, it is June, and we have been talking about best ball for the past couple months. It is crazy how popular this has become. And above all, like, it's extremely entertaining. It's the best part about fantasy football. It's the drafting aspects And uh, no, I mean, there's nothing better.
2: Yeah, the, the set it and forget it part is the real appeal. It's just like how daily fantasy is appealing to a lot of people as well versus season long at this point because you just get to draft every single week. That's great. Everyone loves drafting. You know what's not fun? Remembering to set your waiver claims every week. That's not fun.
3: I think the waivers have become like the most tedious part of fantasy football and uh, it, it's it's difficult to think back to like the days when I mean, I still love my 12 person you know leagues with the college, the high school friends and such, and uh, that daily grind. but uh, there's just so many more opportunities now and so like I think I've narrowed it down to really like one season long fantasy league, but I'll be drafting probably 500 plus across different tournaments in this best ball style and then when the season's ready, Boom. Hands are clean. All I can do is just sit back, watch, and uh, I know I can't screw it up after the season starts. So the one
2: thing when you're playing in these gigantic tournaments, it's a lot like the season-long redraft leagues like the Scott Fishbowl, where you're playing in EuroLeague, but you're also playing against everyone else at the same time. Currently in the $5 tournament with the million dollars to first place up on DraftKings, it has $837,000. 1,000 entries available in it now that money is guaranteed there's 3.5 million in the prize pool There's also a 555 that has 250k up top. There's different best ball tournaments that you can enter They don't all have 800,000 people, in it, but I think the people are, are gonna shoot for the million dollars after after a five-dollar entry That's that's just how people's minds work. That's how my mind works I can turn five into a million sign me up for that so when you're playing against that many people What's the first thing that people need to realize because i mean i think it should be obvious but there are different nuances to this what's different than playing against 12 people versus 800 000 people
3: yeah so i think it starts off with the structure in any of these tournaments that you enter you want to take a look at okay how do i advance how do i win how do i get to that final round and so for that five dollar best ball one the one on drafts that you're talking about there are three times that you need to advance the first is the regular season you need to finish top two out of 12. so that's really attainable that's not that hard like i say in your normal in your normal draft you just got to finish in the top two if you do that you move on to the next week you then need to get another group of 12. you have to win that one one more time you got to win the next group of 12. if you do that three times you finish top two top one top one you now make it to the final round and in the final round That's where that 800,000 entries, you actually start to feel it because you're competing then against 968 other entries. So 969 total for that. And okay, now strategically, what do we change about our strategy to actually give us the best chance at it? Well, two things I think of. One is so throughout the regular season, two out of 12 is not that hard. One out of 12, one out of 12. It's not easy as you keep advancing, but it's not the hardest part. So I don't truly try to change for any anything other than best ball is I want to advance. I want as many tickets, as many chances to get to this, uh, you know, and to get to that final round. Um, And when you can draft up to 150 times, even if you're only going to draft 10, 25 times, whatever it is, having that many chances to actually say like, Hey, let me get to the rounds. Let me get to the playoffs and see what happens. Now the second is that actual 969 person championship. That means we need need to now start optimizing for how we have a chance to win that. If you were playing a DFS contest and it's a one week contest and hey, you're going against 968 other people, what are you doing? You're probably stacking. You may even be game stacking. You're probably looking for positive game environments where the score is going to go kind of you know high scoring game and you can get as many pieces of that as possible. So that's what we need to start thinking about is when we're drafting today, come week 17, what will our lineups look like? Like, yes, it's going to be very difficult to still get to week 17, but if you do, all the money is at the top. It's a very top heavy payout. We said, what total prize pools, three and a half million, 1 million is at top, tops. So that's a little more than 25 or almost 30%. Um, that's what we want to be aiming for. And so using game stacks, using strategy, using employment, you know, using things that we think, Hey, what is the best situation I can create across week 17? That's optimal. So
2: when you're trying to do this optimally, what you're saying is that you almost want to reverse engineer your season when it comes to the stacks that you want to pick out, potentially the sleepers that you want to pick out and how to backfill your roster, doing it for week 17. Now, you might not get there with that strategy, but the whole point would be that if you do get there, it's winning time. This is the week seven, You want week 17 to be your best week uh, is how you optimally want to play this. So does that influence the type of teams that you're going to stack when you look at the week 17 matchups?
3: yeah i mean i think in general well so two things one is last year detroit and seattle amon St. brown and rashad penny both those players went absolutely off in a game that if you would have looked at the beginning of the season nobody would have wanted to touch that game like that looked really ugly so we have to you know hey have strong convictions held loosely because we really don't know what's going to happen come week 17 we know who's playing each other but we don't know who those key players are going to be because for example Cleveland plays Washington in week 17. That might be right now something you're like, well, I don't think Sean Watson's going to play Washington with Carson Wentz is a little difficult. Like maybe I don't want pieces, but then maybe you're like, "Eh, actually maybe there's some pieces around like David bell or maybe Brian Robinson rookies who maybe are going to shine out there. So one thing I'm thinking of is when I'm looking at these teams, I'm not going to rule them out, but I'm going to look at each individual game uniquely and think like where might there be some strong value and finding rookies, That are going to likely continue to perform better as the season goes on and maybe if their teams even out of the playoffs come week 17 going to get additional playing time that's one thing i'll target um i love what you said though about reverse engineering because it's not just for week 17 but i love to reverse engineer when i think about my lineups from start to finish one thing is draft like you are right and what that means is when you are making bets on your early round draft picks in order for you to build a great team a team that's going to continue to advance you probably need to hit pretty hard in those early picks. So, if you go, let's say, running back, running back to start the draft, maybe you went Christian McCaffrey and then you got Leonard Fournette in the second. You need to accept that, like, you need to come, kind of, hey, have confidence that Christian's not going to get hurt. Leonard Fournette's going to keep the starting job. Those two are going to be ballers. They're going to do awesome. Now, knowing that, how should I build the rest of my lineup? Well, I probably shouldn't draft another running back until maybe a little while down the road because. I now need to play a little catch-up of my other positions, and I know my running backs are going to be really strong. So that type of reverse engineering for drafting like you are right is a key part of the game. Well,
2: let's start there. Let's start with running backs and – whether or not to take them as early as possible in best ball because we do see quarterbacks get overly inflated when you look at the average draft position in best ball versus any other type because the move would be in a one quarterback redraft league why would you ever spend up on a quarterback generally speaking I mean JJ put it out there with the late round QB and that's been the strategy that has worked over time fill receiver fill running back get an elite tight end you can find yourself a quarterback, matchup to matchup, whatever it might be. You don't need to waste the bench space for that. However, in best ball, because you want to be correlating your lineups as much as possible and have two, even three potential different stacks, quarterbacks start going a little bit higher. So when it comes to running backs, you you talk about potential rookies towards the end of the season. Can they develop a starting job? Do you have conviction that your guys are going to keep the job? So are running backs still the most valuable thing in Best ball if you have the conviction that they're going to be a workhorse all season long because there's very few of those guys left remaining in the NFL.
3: It's very true, and uh I think let's take a look at. So, as I mentioned, don't do that many redraft anymore, but still have one, and I'm still a firm believer. Like, hey, for redraft leagues, zero RB is a great strategy. Now, let's think why is zero RB a great strategy. The reason why is because you can use those waivers throughout the season and you can identify where there's going to be injuries and you can bring that player on and you can get spot starts for, and you can continue to kind of churn the waivers. That's not the case for best ball because best ball, once you draft your team, that's what it is. So maybe you can employ some form of a zero RB, but you need to maybe then make sure that your team has synergy so that you're not only drafting guys that are gonna start peaking in week six, eight, 10, 12, maybe start with a, hey, one running back early on that you know is going to be able to get you points at the beginning, then you can, if you want to go zero RB, find those late blossoming, but maybe also throw in like a Michael Carter or someone, someone who is going to be able to get you points that early part of the season to make sure that across your entire team, like you are set up for success. Um, And then I think to your second point around, okay, are they, uh, you know, the key? Are they the golden, you know, the golden ticket that you need to win? Well, DraftKings is full PPR. And so if we look at the high upside of positions, you know, wide receivers actually have that higher limit, the echelon of games that maybe you need. So uh, I would say that, yeah, running backs and wide receivers still are kind of the most critical parts of these teams, Um, especially on DraftKings where it's PPR QB even becomes a little less important because the percent that they score compared to your larger team's output is lower than on, places where they're going to have more of a half PPR style. Um, So when I go into these drafts, yeah, I think, hey, if I can get some great running backs, great great wide receivers, either grab an elite tight end or try to get value later on. And then for me and QBs, it's more of, I love that rushing upside, but I'm really looking for kind of two or three QBs that have an opportunity to break out but ideally, I'm not you know, overpaying for them. And then, as you mentioned, that stacking is such a critical part, too. And so a lot of the times, my QB selection is going to be more dependent upon how the stacking works, how the stacking looks for that team than any predetermined, hey, here are the QB players that I want to go after.
2: So in early best ball drafts right now, up until the middle of June, the top three picks coming off the board are all running backs. It goes Jonathan – actually, that's not true. Cooper Cup is number two. It's Jonathan Taylor at number one, Christian McCaffrey at number three, Derrick Henry at number six, Austin Eckler at number seven, Najee Harris at number eight, and then Dalvin Cook at number ten. Those are the first running backs off the board. If you take one of those guys within the top ten, how important is it to, if you draft – delvin cook that alexander madison appears on your team somewhere else or do you say screw the handcuff i'm playing for max upside here and i'll go take a handcuff from a different starting running back because if that guy gets hurt now i have multiple opportunities to score the most throughout the week
3: i think your research team must have been scouring through my previous (laughs) tweets because this is a uh this is a pretty interesting debate that's been going on so a few a couple months back i announced uh, i think i was on a podcast Um, with a couple of, you know, I think it was Hayden Winks and Josh Norris. And I mentioned that contrary to popular belief, I actually think handcuffs have unique opportunity in this. So let's first go back. So last year or two, people are saying, you know, handcuffs are not good for best ball. And that makes sense because as I said, you're drafting like you were right. So if you draft Dalvin cook, well, you're expecting and you're hoping that Dalvin Cook's going to have that great season. And if he has the great season, he probably stays healthy. And Alexander Madison doesn't actually have that great of a season. So it doesn't make sense to handcuff because, hey, you're drafting like you are right. But things are getting a little crazy this year because that week 17, you have to compete against so many teams, 969 teams in that week 17 won for the $5 one. So it's key to also find ways. Can you get unique? Now there's two ways to get unique. One way is Okay, let's say you draft a player that literally is not being drafted in any of these contests. Um, You know, he's a practice squad guy. Nobody knew about him. He ends up making the team breaks out and you're the only one in that group that ends up having him. That's one way. That's pretty difficult, though. Another way is, let's say you actually do draft Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison. And Dalvin Cook has that great season that we talked about. Okay. He's doing well. He doesn't get hurt, makes it to week 15, week 16. He's like the number three scoring RB in the season. That's amazing. He brought you there, but in week 16, he got hurt week 17. You have Alexander Madison, almost not all a large majority of the teams that drafted Alexander Madison. Well, he gave them a zero throughout the year. You know, Dalvin wasn't healthy. So now he's going to be a very low owned player in that week 17. He may then be that key to Hey, Dalvin's hurt. Madison comes in. Madison puts up a 30 burger. No one, you know, very few other people have Alexander Madison. And now you've got a unique high value player that gives you a chance at that 969. Now there was a lot of stuff that had to happen for us to to get there. Dalvin has the amazing season. Dalvin stays healthy. Dalvin gets hurt in week 15 or week 16 in that exact time. Then Madison comes in. Then Madison has an amazing game. Like, yeah, that's very unlikely, but also winning a contest Going against 969 other people is also very unlikely. And so if we have ways to maybe increase our chance of finding unique, finding leverage, that's something I'm looking at. So I'd say across the industry, there's definitely no conviction on whether or not handcuffs are good or bad. Um, Michael Leone, one of my partners had established the run, he's been doing some research on advance rates to see like, hey, does it actually hurt you even advancing? And the the short answer is, it's not actually that bad. And uh, as long as you are... You know, picking the right ones it doesn't work for some if it's about not giving up value not reaching aspects and then the second is maybe if there's situations where there's lack of clarity in the running back situation and maybe it's not so much a traditional pure handcuff like madison cook situation but more of a ambiguous backfield like a ronald jones and leonard Fournette situation last year or uh james Conner and chase edmonds and such
2: It's really interesting to me, because I think in season-long fantasy football, I've always been under the impression to handcuff someone else's stud running back if you're going to take a handcuff. It just feels like that works out much better, because like you said, you can pick up players off of the waiver wire, but the players that you really want to pick up off the waiver wire in terms of running backs are generally the main handcuff to the best guys. Why not just get ahead of the game and go do that? Sometimes bench space doesn't take that into consideration, and you can't pull it off. But I really like this idea that if you have your own handcuff is that The teams that would also have those who did the strategy that I just talked about would already be out of this best ball tournament. That's a great galaxy brain way of thinking about it. I hadn't really put too much stock into that. Now you've opened up my eyes a lot to this. When it comes to non handcuffs and running backs to target late, is it rookies who might be like... How many people drafted, let's say, I don't know, Eli Mitchell last year when it came down to it? Because who was that? Trey Sermon was the guy in San Francisco everyone went out to. Like, how many risks do you need to take towards the back end of your bas- best ball drafts to find some of these undercover running backs?
3: Yeah, last year, Elijah Mitchell, last year, Cordero Patterson, the year before that, James Robinson. These were guys who were not being drafted often, but if you had them on your team, you got substantial production and you had uniqueness coming to the playoffs. Um, for me, what it comes down to is if you take a look at the guys that are being drafted in the 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th round, because these are 20-round 20 drafts on DraftKings, um, tell me – how can you be confident that the guy being drafted number 200 is that much better than the guy not being drafted because it's just a cap of you know the amount of spots? Because someone, if we had 22 rounds, would start being drafted pretty heavily in the 22nd. So what I'm saying is that like while these guys are a difference of theoretical two rounds, 20th to 22nd, the 20th rounds are getting drafted maybe 60, 70, 80% of the time. The ones in the 22nd, just because there's not enough rounds, are barely getting drafted. So a lot of the times with those late picks, I'm looking for those players that aren't getting drafted because, okay, let's use an example of, um, we're thinking the running back handcuff situation, like for the Bengals. You know that that's a pretty valuable handcuff situation if it ends up working out, if Joe Mixon gets hurt and they you know bring in um, either Samaj P. Ryan or Chris Evans as the bell cow. So between those two, you can see like, OK, Chris Evans has gotten a little more of the um, flavor of the week, a little more support. If we see that Chris Evans is predominantly being a 18, 19, round 20 draft pick and P Piran throughout the season has not been drafted at all. I'd rather have the P Piran, because can you honestly tell me that, hey, Chris Evans is substantially more likely to be the handcuff than Samajay Piran? I mean. I don't know, maybe it's 60, 40, maybe it's even 70, 30, but they're being drafted. if they're being drafted substantially different and, you know, 80% of drafts have Chris Evans and 2010 have some as I'm going to go for the one that's being underdrafted. And I think you can take that kind of mantra. And I think Baltimore is a great example as well. The number two wide receiver right now, it's pretty difficult. Like, is it going to be Wallace? I, I, we, we don't know. And so you've got to see, okay, see where the, um, see where the crowd is going. Do you agree with it? Are you not sure? When you're not sure, lean into that uncertainty and go with the other way because that will give you a better chance of being unique.
2: It's funny, we talk about this in Daily Fantasy every single week about the ownership projections and what does the ownership level need to be in terms of disparity between two players to make one the actual correct play. Whether it works out or not, obviously you're never going to know that until the results come out. But how do you position yourself to be in the right position to get to the very top of a leaderboard, if that makes sense? I like this idea of, yeah, well, he's probably a 35% favorite in order to win this job, but 5% of people are going to have him. Is there any sort of like quick hand metric that you can use to be like, yeah, if it's like, you know, there's a 30% gap, but it's going to be like 5X in terms of ownership, 1v1 versus someone else, it immediately puts you on one side of it? Or do you try to diversify your portfolio?
3: Yeah, I mean, right there, the basic math says that, hey, if they're being drafted at a rate that is lower than the likelihood that they outperform the counterpart, then you should be drafting them. And so said, you know, more eloquently, or you're giving an example, as you said, is if they're only being drafted 5% of the time, but we think 20% of the time they're gonna win that starting job, you know, or they're going to, you know, be the better pick versus the backups. Well, there's your leverage, the five versus the 20. So that's where you should be going. Now, it's easy if you, you know, easy, there is data to support how often they're being drafted. So you can see that number. It's a lot harder to actually come up with, well, what is the actual chance Samaj P. Ryan versus Chris Evans becomes the true backup. So that's where your intuition, that's where your subjectiveness comes in and you can make your bets. Our next partner has a product I literally use every day.
2: I started taking Athletic Greens because I needed something for breakfast that wasn't going to weigh me down the rest of the day, but had the nutrients I need that gave me energy to help me yell into a microphone as much as possible. Or if I want to go to the gym a little bit later on in the day, that I would be feeling good and feeling refreshed and not feeling loggy and bogged down like if I have a bunch of fat in the morning or a bunch of carbs. And Athletic Greens has provided that for me. It's been fantastic. that is why I take it every single day so what is this stuff with one delicious scoop of athletic greens you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food source superfoods probiotics and aptogens to help start your day right and this special blend of ingredients supports your gut health your nervous system your immune system your energy your recovery your focus your aging All of these things, and it's lifestyle-friendly. Whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, Athletic Greens is going to be okay for you. And it costs less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health. It's cheaper than a cold brew habit. And Athletic Greens was created when the founder had a ton of gut health issues and ended up on a complicated supplement regime to recover. It cost him $100 a day. Athletic Greens, $3 a day. And with the habits that you're going to break by, whatever you buy in the morning, you're also taking care of yourself, which is absolutely huge. And it already has over 7,000 five-star reviews online. It's recommended by professional athletes. It's recommended by leading health experts. And right now, it's a time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with a convenient daily nutrition. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free 1-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com/mayo. Again, that's athleticgreens.com/mayo to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate
3: with regards to kind of diversification, um, I'm on the team of, Hey, like if you have a large enough portfolio, you can find ways to diversify. I do like making bets. My diversification usually comes more in the form of across teams because of those game stacks, because of the stacks. And then also we're drafting in June. Some people started drafting in April, May. Uh, We're still going to be drafting July and August information comes out information changes adps change as well so i expect that hey as i draft throughout the summer i'm going to naturally get some diversification if come august i realize like hey i am overweight on this player and i don't want to be maybe then that's where i make some manual adjustments to say like hey let me even it out by going another way maybe you know making a more well-rounded portfolio or such but uh for now in june i'm just drafting what i think are kind of the best place If you're not someone who
2: is drafting, let's say, in May and drafting 150 teams in this, you're drafting 10, you're drafting 20, is there an optimal time to you that you think you should draft? Is it after we get information or because the information has been out there for so long now that all of the good values are no longer values? They are going either over where they should be going or just about where they are going. You're not getting any positive leverage on some of these guys that were going five rounds later a month and a half ago, and then you're going to have injury situations crop up where I'm sure some of your best ball teams are going to be probably absolutely dead by the time that August rolls around. So you need the luck on your side there. However, if you wait until the injuries happen, then draft, all the value is sucked out of a lot of these later guys too. So, I do think that there is a benefit to drafting early. It's riskier, but the potential benefit and value that you can get in these situations and cobbling together the best overall team, you maximize it that way. But if you're only going to play 10 teams and you're not as hardcore and covering this 12 months around, would you say waiting till as late as possible might be the move? If you at least want to ensure you have a chance with your teams.
3: Yeah, I would say, what are your goals? make that known. Like if your goal is really to grind best ball and you're trying to get that ROI and you're doing these drafts because like, hey, you want this to be purely a profit seeking mechanism. um, Then there's kind of a, hey, you should be taking a probably a different look on this and you should probably be drafting throughout the summer and such like that. If you're doing it more casually, it's fun. It's a good way to stay in tune with what's going on with the news information. But while it's all fun, you also wanna, you know, maybe make some money, have a chance at that million, that's where you can be a bit strategic. And so the data suggests that the closer we get to the season, The higher the average scores of the teams that are drafted okay that makes sense as you mentioned less injuries more news or drafting less you know uh zeros and such now the people in your league are also having higher so like it's not like your chance of getting out of your league changes but maybe when you get to the playoffs you have a uh you know a a lightly better team or something because you have those the less duds and such um compared to the early aspect with the early, maybe you were able to get on a, okay, if you're drafting Daryl Henderson right now, you're probably taking him into 12th, 13th, 14th. If Cam Akers had another offseason injury, Daryl Henderson becomes like a, what, maybe a fourth rounder or something. Uh, that's where you have the opportunity, but drafting now uh, before these injuries happen to get like a bit more of a super team. Uh, for me personally, I think like, Hey, this is a fun activity draft when you want, if you, you know, there's no question that like the softest drafts are in August as well, because like, Hey, it's June. We're talking football. Everyone else is talking maybe the golf tournament. Maybe they're talking, uh, we've got the NBA finals. We got hockey. Like that's what's on most people's minds. The casual person, uh, come August, that's where you're getting a lot of the casual users. So there's no question that like, Hey, just from a when's the uh, you know, the the friendliest drafts, I will call it, um, is August because that's where the more hardcore, the more, um, you know, uh, the, the people like us who are talking about best ball in June. Um, It's not just us then. Are you maxed
2: out by the time that August rolls around or do you allocate a certain amount of your lineups for August?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, we, there's a lot of great sites that are putting on different, um, you know, co- contests as well. And so what I'll kind of do is allocate um to a portfolio across these different sites. So uh, some of the sites are a little sharper. And so it's not like, Hey, when it comes to August, um, the competition is still strong and it was strong all throughout. So maybe I'll draft those earlier on and then maybe draft Kings because drafting such, such phenomenal reach, their marketing, they're able to kind of bring in the more casual fan. I'll focus more of my time on DraftKings in August because that's where I think the softer drafts are. Um, but, uh, no, I would say like, to be honest, um, I, I also think like from a mental health standpoint, it's best for me to, Hey, I can't be doing football year round. Um, I want to, you know, make sure I enjoy my summer. I want to make sure that I stay married to the wife over there. Um, and so in those situations, like all more casually draft early on, I did a decent amount at the beginning, a bit of a barbell approach kind of slowed down during these periods. And I would say, uh, just now, like yesterday, we started our live stream and established the run where twice a week I'm going to be doing uh, live, you know, be- live best ball drafts, bringing on someone from the industry to talk through. And this is where I'll start really ramping up, especially after Fourth of July.
2: You mentioned diversifying your profile because a lot of people who take this seriously and want to win the big money, like yourself and I know a ton of these people, uh, they treat this like a stock market. How many shares of this one player can I buy? Is there a hard and fast cap that you put on some of this stuff? Like, do you have 80% shares of one player on a certain site? Because site to site, that's going to differ. Like you mentioned, there are soft sites, there are sharp sites, and the ADP and even the scoring conditions are going to be a little bit different and tweaked between each of these. But on DraftKings in particular, that's what we're talking about, that... Like, do you max out at 60% on one guy? Like, does there become a point where you have too much of one guy? Because we talk about this in Daily Fantasy all the time. Is there a such thing as a free square? Should you play 100% of someone if the value is good enough? Maybe you have identified a particular player in the 19th round of a best ball draft. You're like, I'm going to take this guy every time. Does it make sense to do that? Or because it's football, injuries happen, weird stuff happens, very unpredictable. That It's just not sensible to go that all in on one player.
3: Yeah, I don't really have a hard cap that I max at, but I am sensitive to my uh, ownership shares, as we call it. Um, And what I mean by that is if I start seeing that I'm drafting a player in, let's say, 25, 25% of drafts. Well, what does that tell me? It tells me that one is I am higher than market on this player. It tells me, too, I am drafting this player likely at a point of above ADP, because if you are drafting each player ADP, then you're getting them on average the same as your drafts. One out of 12, it's like 8 percent. So like right, I'm higher than this player and I'm drafting them slightly above ADP. That tells me I need to go take a second. It's like, OK, what is going on here? Am I higher on this player? Should I be higher in this player? So maybe I'll take that opportunity to go talk to some other people and kind of get some additional thoughts on you know, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's an injury risk I'm not thinking of. Maybe there's uh, some other, you know, hey, a larger macro risk that it's just not in my, you know, I haven't been considering. And so I wanna say like, hey, should I be higher on this player? I might leave that conversation as like, oh no, I shouldn't have been, okay, let me draft them less. Or it could be, no, I'm still bullish on them. Maybe I think the market's missing something, so that's okay. Now, the second is when am I, when am I drafting them? Because if I have 25% of them, I'm likely reaching a little. Maybe as I start getting to 25%, if I got to 30%, I'm like, maybe I can stop drafting them where they are and maybe get them around later because seems like people are letting this person fall to me a lot or I'm reaching a little for them. So let me see, can I still get my shares of this player if I wait around? And now if I am able to do that, I'm now getting an extra round of value on another player that helps me and makes my you know, my collective team stronger. And so that's how I'll use diversification. And then the last part I'll reference is I think there is definitely a difference of if you are 30% on Derrick Henry or if you are 30% on Hassan Haskins. <laughs> because at the top of the draft, if you're Derrick Henry, like you are then missing out on a lot of other of those players that we expect are gonna have high point total. Because I think, as you mentioned, Derrick Henry might have like an ADP of around seven. Um, and so if you're drafting him at seven, And you're at 30%, that means you're probably drafting him above Jamar Chase, above Justin Jefferson, maybe even above like, you know, one of those other, maybe even Austin Eckler or someone. Um, But the idea being, you're now getting, you're hurting your portfolio of these other high end players. If you're drafting Hassan Haskins at 30%, well, now these are more dart throws to begin with. If you weren't getting Hassan Haskins, who are you going to pick? There's still, 20, 30, 40, 50 people that you might be choosing from. So it's not like you're really really hamstringing yourself where in that situation of getting over a player at the top of the draft, you're really missing out on the high level competition that's around it. So we talk sometimes about a cascading
2: format when we're picking in either I mean, I think that it's weird because I feel like best ball for the NFL actually has far more in common with daily fantasy golf than it does daily fantasy football in a very weird way because it's not that it's positionless, but you're going to get to the spots that you need to fill regardless. It's not like you're constrained by a salary cap for this position. If I do this stack, then I only have so much left over here. In golf, you can take your six guys. You have to fit them all in with your salary cap. You can take any of the six guys that you want. Feels to me like that's a little bit more like DraftKings Best Ball NFL when it gets to the drafting point. When it comes to cascading, so you can do it a bunch of different ways, but a lot of the times people like to really concentrate at the very top. And I mean, you can call it a pyramid scheme if you want the pyramid scheme of daily fantasy golf. And I think that uh, the cascading effect has a much better uh, branding behind it. Shout out Rick Gaiman for that one. But you concentrate up top, and you have like your two expensive guys that you want to build around, or three guys. Then it's like five. Then it's seven then it's eight. And then you end up with way more at the top, higher concentration, higher ownership of the select really good guys that you want. And then you spread out the risk around the bottom once you drop down into the lower ranges of the salary cap. It feels like what you're talking about here might actually be an inverted cascading where you want to have more diversification at the top because, yeah, if you're 35% Derrick Henry, then there's no chance you ever have Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey or any of the very top-end wide receivers. No Travis Kelsey. It would it seemed to me that if you're trying to play 150 lineups that you would kind of want to smooth those out at the top and then at the bottom be really committed to the deeper sleepers that you know that you're going to get later on do I have that right or am I completely off base with this
3: no I think you nailed it and I think a great example is I personally have Christian McCaffrey as my 1.01 however I am still drafting Jonathan Taylor with the number one overall pick because if i said i'm going to draft christian mccaffrey with my 1.01 i would never have any shares of jonathan taylor and even though i think like christian mccaffrey might be 55 45 over jonathan taylor to finish as the number one i think he's got higher upside with the way that he's played and in that offense especially if baker mayfield goes there blah 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 but as long as the jonathan taylor is the consensus 1.01 by adp i'm going to split my kind of hedge my bets now i also though feel that i like christian mccaffrey more than cooper cup and in those situations, I'm now drafting Christian McCaffrey more often over Cooper Cup. So I'm still going to be overweight on Christian McCaffrey here, but I'm not saying, hey, I'm now not going to have any of um, of Jonathan Taylor or Cooper Cup. And a similar one is the Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews. Like Travis Kelsey, by most you know is by most counts is ahead of Mark Andrews. I know some really smart people that think Mark Andrews is going to have a better season, but if you start taking Mark Andrews above Travis Kelsey, you'll never finish with Travis Kelsey. And so that's where at that top, that diversification. And then at the end of the drafts where you said, hey, hammer the guys that you love, I definitely think that's a strong strong play, but I'll also mention that I also will, with the end of the draft, be focusing far more on stacks because we have such low levels of confidence in who's going to have success at the end of drafts it's better for me to kind of guarantee that correlation. So then when these teams, when this QB has a great year, it's more often that the peripheral pieces of his offense also have stronger and outperforming their ADP years.
2: How important is it to understand what ADP is telling you in best ball drafts? And how can that guide you through how you want to properly construct your teams? Knowing that information, there's only so much that's knowable when it comes to fantasy sports in general. And ADP, we talk about it a lot. It's, some people will say it's absolutely useless. Take whoever you want to take. I agree with that. But using ADP as a blueprint of knowing where people are going is really the only data point that we have with a lot of this.
3: Yeah, so there's two things about ADP that I've been thinking about this year. One is trending over the past few years, we have become more and more accurate collectively at projecting fantasy performance with ADP being that metric. And what, why is that? Well, there's more people that are making this their day job. There are smarter people that are doing forecasting and projections. There's more people that are paying attention to the projections and the rankings and all that. OK, so we have that this data point that's trending towards that ADP is becoming more reliable. OK, so I don't want to veer too much from ADP as my takeaway there. Now, number two is what we're seeing this year. And I talked a little about it earlier is so many people are starting to correlate on that week 17 you know historically people like to stack so you'll correlate your wide receivers your tight ends sometimes your running backs with your QB that makes sense but now we're seeing twice as much correlation because people are starting to correlate the you know wide receivers with the opposing QB if you look at my twitter i posted the other day a quiz for people to actually help them memorize who are the week 17 opponents because in drafts people are starting to think like okay since he plays Buffalo. Okay. Arizona plays Atlanta, Tampa plays Carolina, Cleveland plays Washington. Like we can keep going on. And that's just, you know, imprinted in your brain. And so so many people are starting to draft with that double correlation of, okay, not only do I want to draft players on my own team, but I also want to get in that high scoring game. Who's on the, who's the run back who's on the the bring back on the other side. Well, what that's done for ADP is it's slowly is pulling more and more people up the draft boards, because if you started the draft with Josh Allen, OK, I'm not sure that right now the DK ADP, but let's say he's going around the mid third. I think Gabriel Davis might be going around kind of mid fifth. Well, I think Gabriel Davis, I'm really bullish on him. I think he's got great op- you know potential this year. I think he should be going, though, around like the five, six turn. But because people who drafted Josh Allen, they're starting to pull up that Gabriel Davis um, ADP so they can stack him with him. And then not only Josh Allen, if someone grabbed Tremar Chase, if someone grabbed T Higgins, they also want to get Gabriel Davis because now you have that week 17 correlation between Cincinnati and Buffalo. So now you have multiple teams that are trying to fight for this player that previously you would just have, you know, would kind of fall to his ADP. So I think we're going to look back on this year and that trend of ADP getting better is actually going to be hampered this year in some of these week in some of these best ball contests because so many people are going for this week seventeen correlation. And so, what is my actionable takeaway there? It's still I don't want to reach too much on ADP, but I also need to always do kind of a sense check, a little sniff test of, hey, why is this player so high? Like, am I actually bullish on this player? And then, if that's the case, like Gabriel Davis, who I'm, I really like the player. But like it's really hard for me to stomach the price that he's getting to, especially if I don't have any of those kind of stack plays. And so in those situations, I'm not going to be getting Gabriel Davis much because I believe that other players around him Are better raw options. And if we look at the actual projections, if we look at our actual rankings, um, that would prove out the ADP is just being manipulated a little because there's a positive feedback loop of, okay, I have the stack partner. I want to draft Gabriel Davis, his ADP moves up. People don't want to reach, but Hey, slowly his ADP does reach up and now it's not as much of a reach. So now I can grab him and it just keeps going. And so that's really what for this year, what I'm taking away from the ADP. We went on so long with Justin, we're going to break this up into
2: two parts. This was part one coming up in part two, how to stack the best stacks, the worst stacks, contrarian stacks, and standalone wide receivers and late wide receiver picks in DraftKings Best Ball plus tight end strategy as well and the do not do's on DraftKings this season. Reminder to smash the like button for the episode. Follow me on Twitter at the PME. I'll have a huge amount of DraftKings Best Ball giveaways upcoming. Follow Justin over at EstablishTheRun.com and on Twitter at Justin Herzig. He's one of the best in the biz, one of the most successful DraftKings and all best ball players in the industry and in the world. Really, that will do it for me. Smash the like on the way out.
0: Which is music to his ears. Call, click com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.